I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Hello and welcome to the Fried Egg Podcast. My name is Garrett Morrison. I'm here today with Andy Johnson. Andy, at the moment, what is your favorite fruit? Oh, wow. Hard-hitting question. Um, sumo citrus <laughs> because it changes season- for you. Yeah. It changes. Sumo citrus yeah. season's over. I, I'm a big mango. I really like mangoes, too. I think bananas are probably my you know, most consumed fruit in a year, but I do really like a good mango. So I'll go with mango now that sumo citrus season's over. Mango is kind of a fancy man fruit. It is. It's a pain in the ass to cut, too. That's the thing. It's it's not, you know, I don't think it's like, what's expensive is buying the cut up mango. Yeah. What isn't, you know, it's not that prohibitive to buy mango, but it it is prohibitive to cut it because it takes, you know, what you lose in... Uh, in cost when you go to the cut mango you save in your personal time right exactly it takes some skill to cut a mango properly you can't just sort of like randomly go after it which i've definitely done before because i get all excited there's a mango in front of me i like this looks delicious and i just start sort of willy-nilly digging into it and it just ruins the the whole thing so you really need to be thoughtful about your approach to the mango much as you need to be thoughtful about your approach to Pacific Dunes, which is the oh, course that, that we're talking about today. Was that the most professional segue you've ever heard? Maybe. I don't know. I've heard some more professional ones. You know, the the, the radio radio pros are really the ones that, that you know. They're so smooth. Um, okay. So we're, we are talking about Pacific Dunes. This is the next long-awaited entry in our Bandon deep dive series. We haven't done one of these in a while. I think the last one was in February. Uh, things have intervened. <laughs> you know, we've we've had a major championship yeah, and busy. various other things to cover. So um, we're getting back to the series now. And this is our second to last episode of this series because we've been going backwards through time, through the courses, backwards chronologically. And so we are at the second course that was built at the Bandon Dunes Golf Resort designed by, of course, Tom Doak, opened in 2001, and it opened to rave reviews. You know, this was a pretty immediate success for Bandon Dunes. Um, Almost right away, it outranked Bandon Dunes on the magazine rankings, which, you know, take that with a grain of salt, uh, obviously, but I think it's significant that in most, you know, sort of general rankings of courses in America, Pacific Dunes is usually second to just Sand Hills, basically among modern courses. And so this is perhaps the most highly regarded course at Bandon Dunes, but it's also one of the more controversial. You know, we we talked about Old McDonald. Old McDonald 2 has had its detractors, but I feel like there's the biggest split when it comes to Pacific Dunes between people who love the course and people who really don't like the course. Would you agree with that? Um, yes and no. I think, um, I think it's the best course out there. I don't think it's really close, um, from, 
a standpoint of of golf design. I think where there's a split is that Pacific Dunes, unlike the other course, uh, unlike some of the other courses, you know, it's not necessarily like a pushover if you're hitting good shots. Um, there is some bite. And if you look historically through the great golf courses, you know, you think about National Golf Links, you think about Shinnecock Hills, you think about Pine Valley, you think about, you know, the great American golf courses. When they were designed, they had bite. They were controversial. They were pushing boundaries of what was considered fair. Um, I think Pacific Dunes is the one course abandoned that has real bite. And, you know, my first encounter with Pacific Dunes was broadcasting. I played it, but I broad I spent a week broadcasting a college event. This was right before the pandemic hit. You were out there with a microphone doing like Ken Brown style, you know, rolling the golf ball, showing the contours, all that kind of stuff. It was cool. But then we did on course. I and I followed groups, and uh, you know, I spent a couple days watching guys play Pacific Dunes, and you know, these there's like three teams in the top twenty five, but a number of guys that are turning professional, and and you know, you might see them on the PGA Tour. You had Devin Bling, who won the event, was the you know at the time runner up at the USAM. You you know, you have real quality golfers and you see them go around this golf course on three idyllic days, you know, wonderful weather and it's 6,600 yards. And, you know, the scores were not great. They were right around par for winning. Um, they were not, they did not light it up despite really good weather conditions. And I think it's a testament to the golf design in the sense of without a beefy yardage, this golf course is really challenging and for the best of players. But I think like regular people can navigate their space. And especially if you understand the design and, and where you need to get to, it's a golf course that if you're out of position, you need to get back into position. It's not a golf course where you can hit it anywhere and be fine. Like that's not the type of golf course it is. It's a golf course that and that's what makes it great. That's the enduring thing. The routing's phenomenal. We talked about it at length in our our video that we did, the roundtable video that we did on it. Uh, that I highly recommend checking out on YouTube. We also have it on the website. We talk about the routing. The routing's phenomenal. But really, at the core of this golf course, is such a wonderful strategy from hole to hole. Each hole has its own story and there are repercussions when you play certain ways often away from trouble and when you play away from trouble you find yourself in positions where you can't attack you need to be defensive you need to get yourself back in position and and to make pars and where you can get in a lot of trouble is when you're out of position and try and bite off too much that you can chew and when you think about the great golf courses the greatest golf courses in the world. This is this is the the thing behind them is that the strategy is what drives them. It's the timeless iconic stuff that lasts forever. It's why the road hole at St Andrews is one of the greatest holes ever. It's not because of the hotel that you hit over. It's because of the what happens if you hit it over the hotel versus bailing to the left and what what the repercussions are and what you have to do after that. So 
with Pacific Dunes, what I love about it really deep down is that you're playing chess. And if you get in trouble or if you get out of position, you can't keep digging. Well, you can. You're you're afforded the opportunity to hit a great shot. Well, you're tempted to. You probably shouldn't, though. Yeah, exactly. You're you're afforded. But, you know, putting that that's the mental stimulation, you know, is the idea of do I take this on? I could conceivably hit this shot. But should I try to hit the shot? And that's what it does. And and there's no better examples. I think the fourth, and I kind of, we did our Dream 18 pod, and I actually like am, am really, the, the one regret I have about it is not even bringing up the fourth at Pacific Dunes. It's over the least interesting land. outside. You have the ocean on your right side. So you're playing along the cliffs, and this is a perfect example. And most people would say, oh, if you take the ocean away, that holds a nothing burger. But if you put an out-of-bounds stake and you had a train line right there, this is one of the great strategic holes in all of golf. It asks you to hit the ball as close to the hazard as you can. If you can hug it up the right side along the cliffs, there, every contour around the green helps you. You're hitting a mid to long iron, depending on the wind, maybe a short iron, depending on the wind, if you're downwind versus indu. You know, you, you can have a range of things, but this whole strategy works regardless. So you have the, the cliff running, running along the right, the ocean on your right, which is a very daunting thing to take on. To the left, you have tons of space, heaps of space, a couple fairway bunkers that are very much in play. And if you find those that are deep, you're going to have a tough time getting even to the green. But... You have all the room in the world left, and it's flat. And the green is guarded. What it has is a dune on the left side of the green, short left that kind of runs along the left side. In there is set some bunkers, and the green kind of sits in this pocket, a dune, a pocket, and then the cliff. And all the slopes go at the green, go left to right, off the dune towards the cliff. If you play up the right, you all of a sudden have a sideboard. You play close to the water, you're, you've taken on the challenge, and your reward is that you don't have to take on the water again. You have a helping slope, and you can play to the left part of the green, and it's going to funnel you back to the middle part of the green. You can also get at left pins from there, which, you know, if you play away, which is really easy to do. And I think that's where most people do it. It's just so hard to get yourself to hit it up the right. And this is this is brilliant strategy. So you decided, I'm not taking on the water. I, I'm going to pass. I'm going to pass the buck onto the next shot. So I hit it over to the left. Say I'm in the fairway on the left half of the fairway. Or say I'm in the fairway on the left side. And I'm trying to attack that green. All of a sudden, every single slope that was helping me from the right side hurts me from this side. It is going to shoot the ball. It's not going to kind of funnel it back because I'm not landing into the upslope of the slope. I'm landing on the downslope. And what happens is that ball can shoot off the green into the water if you're not careful. So what you're kind of presented with a decision, especially if you have a long iron in, like, what do I do? Now, you have a couple options. You can try and hit that shot. It's really hard. You probably need to draw it you know, and you need to draw it against it and try and get something working against the slope to do it. 
you can hit it, dump it into the bunker, but then you've just passed along that that you know problem again. Or you can play it short of the green and get yourself back into a position where you have a reasonable up and down attempt. And that's the th- that third decision is probably what you should do. And if you did it 10 times over, you'd probably walk away with the best scoring average. But that's the hardest thing to get any golfer to do because it makes them say to themselves, I can't hit the shot. And it, it forces you to play against your own ego, which is what Pacific Dunes does over and over and over again, is that it foils you against your ego. And I think that's where a lot of animosity comes, is that people realize they can't hit these shots, but they don't realize that they put themselves in the position to where they shouldn't be able to hit the shot because they didn't take on the first shot and they didn't confront the problem off the bat. Two things about four. One is that that second shot layup, if you hit your drive away from the cliff out to the left and you decide to lay up on that second shot, that is probably the percentage play there. Because if you go for the green, there's there's a pretty good chance that your ball is going to run through the green. But the layup isn't easy either, because guess where you're playing? You're playing right to the edge of the cliff. And, you know, your your tendency is going to be to pull that left. And you might end up in those dunes on the left or in that bunker that's cut into the dunes. I was there last time. I can tell you that's not the place to be because you're not hitting the green with your recovery from there. You are doing the same thing that an approach would do. You're running through the green. Second thing is that the prevailing wind enhances everything that you're talking about. Four in the prevailing summer wind plays downwind. And so... That means that your approach is going to have less spin. It's going to roll out more. And you really need, if you want to hold the green, to be on the right. There you have that little slot up. You can land it way short of the green and your approach is going to run up. It's not a hard shot from there. But it's an incredibly hard shot from the left downwind because everything that the design is doing is enhanced by that wind. Your ball is running out. There's just really nowhere to stop it. So those are the two things I'd add to four. I agree. It's it's a brilliant hole. There are other brilliant fourth holes at, at uh, the Bandon Dunes Resort, and that's what we got talking about during the Dream 18 exercise. But for sure, the angles on that hole are exemplary, and they represent a lot of what Pacific Dunes is doing throughout the course. Yeah, I think the, the thing is you have to confront the water at some point. You can keep procrastinating and keep putting it off, but every time you're getting to more and more difficult place. All right, let's take a couple of steps back here and talk about some of the story behind Pacific Dunes. Now, we have covered this in past podcasts a little bit, so we're not going to go super in-depth on it. But the story of the routing of this course is a very interesting one. Tom Doak wrote a book called The Making of Pacific Dunes that he has talked about on the Yoke with Doak podcast with you. And it's it's a great story. You know, it's, it's a really fun story about the various kind of compromises and experiments that you go through when you're building a course of, of this importance and on this kind of piece of land. But the main thing that happened early in the process of the routing of Pacific Dunes was that Doak realized that a couple of the holes that he had routed in his initial plan wouldn't work because... David Kidd had put his seventh and eighth holes at Bandon Dunes 
over the land that Doak was planning to use for those holes. So Doak basically needed to not completely scrap his initial plan because he was able to save some of the holes from there, but really reconceptualize the routing of the course. Uh, He had to find some new holes somewhere and a new way to make the course work overall. So it's a great story. And um, we have some tape of Doak describing this in one of those uh, old episodes of Yoke with Doak. It's about 10 minutes long. So why don't we cut to that tape and, and just let Tom tell the story? I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit more about the story of when you guys stumbled upon the 13th. So the book has three routings for Pacific Dunes. And the first one is something that I never even showed Mr. Kaiser. I'd, I'd had a topo map of it for six months or a year before I went out to look at it, to look at the ground. Because, um, well, I'd, I'd actually, I'd, I'd met Mr. Kaiser in like 1995. So way before the first golf course existed. David Kidd was already working on his plan for the first golf course at that time. And instead of trying to like elbow him out of the way, I just figured, well, you know, Mike's talking about doing two golf courses. Hopefully I'll get a chance to do the second one. So, so I just, you know, I just spent some time with Mike. We played golf a couple of times when I actually went on a golf trip to Ireland together. Um, got to know him a bit. He saw a couple of my other golf courses. And as Bandon Dunes was being built, he acquired the land for Pacific Dunes. And so Mike sent me topo of that land. But we both agreed that it probably wasn't right to go out there and start working on the planning while David was still working on his golf course. And you know, and you know, having another architect around while David was still, you know, making decisions and changing stuff just wasn't kosher. So, so I didn't, so I had the map for quite a while to just play around and try to find golf holes, but I didn't go to look at the site until David's course was all done and a month or two away from opening. And Mike had told me that when he got the land for David, when he got the land for Pacific Dunes, he let David build a couple of holes into the corner of it along the coast. So I routed holes pretty close to there. And as it turned out, this map that I took with me to Bandon Dunes the first time, I had golf holes all over where David's seventh and eighth holes were. I didn't know they were there. So my routing just flat did not work from the moment I set foot on the site. The, the circulation of it didn't work at all. And I was like, so I never showed it to Mike. I was just like, crap, now I'm back to square one. <laughs> um, there were a lot of things that, that we saw walk in the ground that we were like, boy, that's cool. And I, you know, and I hadn't picked up on the seventh green site, all the little jiggly contours that are the seventh green on the topo map. When I looked at the topo map, as soon as we walked by it, I was like, let's build a green there. (laughs) It's amazing. Green site, amazing fairway too. Like that's just such a beautiful hole. And one of the nice things about the book is, you know, you asked about the 13th hole, which I'll get to in a minute. You know, I have a, the, the, one of the pictures in the book is me standing on the 13th tee and Jim Urbina standing in the landing area for the fairway the first time we saw it. So anyway, I'm trying to figure out how to rework my routing minus the land for six, seven, and eight abandoned dunes. 
And, you know, we were spending a lot of time walking the site, the parts that we could walk, because a lot of it was still covered with gorse, and then coming back and working on the maps. And so, you know, we found like the sites for the first hole and the second hole and the and the seventh green and the eighth and part of the 18th because those weren't under gorse and you could walk them pretty easily. But the north side of it was almost, you know, once you dropped off 3T onto that flatter plane, that was all eight foot high gorse. You really couldn't walk through it at all. Um, so we just, you could see the dunes on the far side and we had a topo map and it's like, okay, it's 500 yards to there so we could play a hole here. Um, but it was still hard to get a feel for and Mike was feeling nervous about it. But, you know, I said to him after like three days, you know, I really like this, but, you know, that that little corner there that we gave up, you know, that means I'm going to wind up with three or four holes inland away from the water that I just, I don't think they're going to be as good. That's like the best thing you can say to Mike Kaiser, right? If you want to get more waterfront land. Yeah. <laughs> Threaten yeah, inland holes. <laughs> Same process at Terry Eady, actually. Um, you know, so I said to Mike, I, you know, I'm just not sure what I'm going to do with the, with holes like inland on that flatter bit of terrain. I, I think I'm going to have to like build some dunes and create something there because it's just not as dramatic as everything else. And Mike said, well, actually, we own the property north of this, too. So, you know, why don't you go look over there? And I was like, okay. <laughs> so, um, like I said, you know, that, that big plane from the third tee at Pacific Dunes and kind of the 12th to pretty close to his fence line was just all gorse and you couldn't walk through it. So Jim and I drove around to the beach, actually where, where you drive into the sheep, where you could drive into the sheep ranch and hike back up along the dunes to get in because there was, you know, it was sandy along the dunes and there was a, there was a little bit of a trail and it wasn't solid course. So we came in and we, we wound up where kind of where 14 T is now. And that was our first view of 13 it was from up there. Like, wow, it looks pretty dramatic going back there toward the T. And then, you know, I looked the other way and I was like, holy crap, you know, just, just, you know, there's just this giant dune coming down and just enough space for a green site between that and the water. And really a green site just sitting there. I mean, it was there. And so we walked down in there and I said, you know, go to, we didn't have a map for this yet. So I was like, you stay here. Let me go back to where a T would be so I can laser it and see how far it is. And it was just perfect. You know, it was just the right distance for, for the big tee shot and then a pretty tough second shot up uphill to the green site. And I did, I took a picture of Jim in his red jacket. So he really stands out and that wound up in the book. Uh, but you know, we, we immediately went right back around to the resort and said to Mike, yeah, there's a great hole there. You should come see it. And I don't think he'd ever seen it. He might have for all I know, but, but he was excited when he saw what we were pointing at and then you know we showed it to him from 14 and he said could the next hall be like a par three up up in the dunes here where so you're still looking at the ocean instead of like you know teeing off and playing down into the land where old mcdonald is and not seeing the ocean at all because mike 
at that point was still his idea of how great the golf course was going to be was how many holes were you looking at the ocean from? He had a count in his head the whole time. Um, and I said, sure, you know, we'll just, you know, we'll have to like do some earthwork on the dune over there to get, build 14. And we actually had to do more work to build that hole than most of them. But, you know, that was basically Mike's idea for a hole there. Was that fairway contour, that kind of that little hogs back right in the middle of 13 fairway all just there? Or was that, did you move some stuff to make that? It was really all just there. The only thing we had to do, because it, you know, it, the fairway was, uh, there was gorse growing on it, but it was only like ankle high because it was basically sitting right on top of sandstone. There was hardly any soil there. And, you know, it came up just perfect where it didn't quite, cover the green but we had to sand cap that hole and four and 12 with about three feet of sand and when we did that you know the the fairway was going to come up so much relative to the green that that it wasn't going to the visual wasn't going to be so good so we had to like knock the fairway down a little bit so the sand cap didn't ruin ruin the view but it looks what what's there now looks almost exactly the same as what was there at the start yeah, that that picture in the book is like stunning. You know, you see that it's it's uh, it's like whoa, that's exactly what's there. This episode of the Fried Egg Podcast is brought to you by Zero Restriction. So on our trip to Bandon Dunes last November, we encountered all kinds of weather. We played Bandon trails in torrential rains and gale force winds, and we played Old Mac on a beautiful, clear, but somewhat chilly day. So we needed performance apparel that was really versatile, that could handle anything that the Oregon coast threw at us. Thankfully, we were outfitted on this trip by Zero Restriction. Zero Restriction makes excellent cutting edge outerwear, and we actually got to try a couple of new items from the ZR collection on this trip, including the Mayweather Pullover and the Wave Hybrid. Both of these pieces have high-tech fabrics that are water repellent, moisture wicking, and all that good stuff and they're nice and stretchy and comfortable. And finally, both items can function really well as either a top layer for a mild day or as a middle layer for those colder and wetter days. You can find the Mayweather Pullover, the Wave Hybrid, and all sorts of other apparel right now at zerorestriction.com. And if you use the code OLDMAC at checkout, that's one word, all caps, O-L-D-M-A-C, OLDMAC at checkout, you'll get 20% off at zerorestriction.com. All right, so the the takeaway from that story for me is that the addition of that land in the northwest corner of the property where 13 and 14 are, it basically established what the entire concept of the current routing of the course is, which is that there's this great land uh, at, at one corner of the property and then there's this great land where the the so-called sandy bowl is and, and some of the cliffside stuff is on the other end of the property. And essentially the job of the course's routing is to get over the land between those two sections of the property and make those holes that, you know, get over the less interesting land good in their own right. But the the priority is to get quickly from one section of the property to another that's essentially what the routing does really well, I think, but it's the, it's the problem that had to be solved. 
This is what we talked about in the Pacific Dunes Roundtable. We don't know, need to go super in-depth on it, but it is important to mention because that that is essentially the the idea of the routing of this course. Yeah, and I think the, the thing that, that Tom did with the routing of the course in, in these two really really spectacular places for land, but they're separated. And all the holes that go across the less interesting land are long holes. They're all par fives. Or they're the fourth hole, which is along the ocean and along par four. It's along par four. And so we're talking about three, 12, and 15. Mm -hmm. So these are the holes that navigate this little bit less interesting land. Part of six does too off the tee, but that's just a really strategic hole and plays from one dune to the next dune. So it doesn't really, but these holes and, and with par fives, you're able to generate interest just by the risk reward of going for a par five and two you can. And then what you see on 15 and three is they built up big features on three it's all the bunkering. It's the dramatic bunkering that takes you from the T. You walk up to that T and you see all the bunkers and you see the ocean in the background. And it makes you forget that the land you're going across is very flat. And then, you know, 12 is you're playing along. You can see the ocean, but it's a really good strategy hole. And they did a lot with the angles of the green. And then similarly, 15, you have a combination. You have some very big bunkers off the tee that you have to look at. You have a lot of like micro movement in the fairway that's very cool. But then at the green, the green is the star of that hole. It is a, you know, kind of a turtle back green that repels in every direction. And you have to hit a really great shot if you're going for that in two. Otherwise, you're going to have a tough time making a four. So it it really, you know, and and they have a big cross hazard there. So these holes make up for it with built features, whether they're bunkers or greens. Um, mm-hmm. They make up for this. And what they are is connector holes. And by making them, you know, by building and spending such time on features, the interest is generated. But they're all, that interest is only generated really for three holes of the golf course, which is incredible because... If you routed it differently, you could put seven or eight holes on that less interesting land. But this really only takes up three golf holes, even though it's a vast space that needed to be moved across multiple times. You know, to me, these holes grow on me. You know, when you play Pacific Dunes for the first time, you don't necessarily notice them because you're always looking at what's at the other end of them, whether it's the ocean or whether it's dunes. But I, I think they're really excellent par fives and and 15 has uh, specifically grown on me because that green is so cool you've got the runoffs all around especially on the front right it's inspired uh supposedly by one of the greens at, at royal dornick i believe it's the uh, the hole that's called foxy i think it's 14 i apologize for my my lack of knowledge of scottish golf that will be rectified hopefully sometime soon but in any case there there is a kind of uh, template notion there almost an inspiration from a lynx course and um you know once you really look at these greens and look at how they relate to the hole you realize that that these are are well designed holes all right so why don't we talk about some of the holes in the so-called sandy bowl which is which is really the great landform at pacific dunes aside from maybe 
the land ocean. that 13 has. Uh, I mean, there's the ocean, yeah, obviously. But as you mentioned, you know, that the 4 at Pacific Dunes runs along the ocean, but the land itself is is really nothing special right there until you get to the green and you see some of those dunes. But um, yeah, to me, the, the really distinctive landscape at Pacific Dunes is this sandy bowl where there are a bunch of short par fours. Do you want to talk about the short par fours at, at Pacific Dunes and some of the strategies there? Because I, I think that's where this course really shines, really gets to the next level. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's a mix, too. They have a lot of really great short par fours, but then to balance them out, there are some tough par threes. And, uh, you know, 17 being one of them, a longer par three. And then there's also, like, holes like four that play. That's that's almost closer to a par five than a par four, right? Uh, but depending then, on the wind, yeah. Yeah. Mixed in and 13 here, too. Yeah, in 13. And mixed in here are uh copious amounts of scoring chances if you play the whole the proper way and you get into the right spots to attack. So one's obviously right off the bat a short par four. Um I think it's a pretty neat hole. You have the gorse and like the, the junk on the left that runs along the hole and you know it's your opening tee shot. Everybody's afraid of hitting it in there and having to kind of re tee right off the bat. It's the most intimidating first tee shot at Bandon Dunes by a lot. Yeah. Because it's mostly blind. You you really don't know where you're going. And even if you're hitting hybrid, which I think most people are off that tee, it is it is not comfy. Yeah, but and and so what happens is your natural in- inclination is to bail right, and it just plays right into the the it, it opens you up to the to what the course is. You know, the right you can see off the tee. It's the, it looks like the safe place, and if you play over there, then your next shot's pretty blind, and it's coming from a bad angle, and it's just introducing this this idea of play here, or play here, and it's safe, and and then you're delaying you know, having to take the tough shot on. So meanwhile, if you play up the left side there, it's going to sh- rocket your ball. I mean, there's a huge speed slot that can carry your ball almost all the way down to the green. It's definitely drivable from the regular tee for longer hitters, but it gets you right into the pocket where you're hitting right up the green. It's a small target. It's an undulating green. And if you're over on the left coming in there, you're going to be in a really good spot to attack. And otherwise, if you're over to the right, you're going to be semi-blind. You're going to be hitting from a side hill lie. And, and I'll never forget, I, you know, I'm doing that telecast. It was, it was the final group, so it's the leaders. And I want to say the best score on this hole was a five. I mean, there was doubles. There's triples that were made. And it's all because of that, that tee shot. People that hit it right just got into a terrible place off the start. And it puts you right on your heels if you get into the wrong spot. But it's a wonderful introduction to the golf course with the idea of, okay, I'm going to need to, you know, hitch them shots that I don't necessarily want to hit off the tee so that I don't have to hit shots that I definitely don't want to hit on the, on the second shot. And the first hold is a great example of that. Then we're on to the second hole, which is one of my favorite holes at Pacific Dunes. The centerline bunker sort of dictates everything about that hole. You have a a bunker smack in the middle of the fairway. You're looking straight at it on the tee shot. To the right of that bunker is a kind of high plateau. To the left is a funnel down low. And so basically what you're doing is you're looking at the green in the distance and you're trying to figure out what's the place I want to be. Do I want to be high right? Do I want to be low left? And I think depending on the pin position, you might want to be different places on 
different days. Yeah, and if you push it up the left there, you get you could get yourself a good peek into the green. And especially for pins on the right side, the left is really, really preferred because of the intense slopes that come off that green. Yes. Um, but then if the pin's kind of on the back or left side, depending on how you, you know, the, the, the green's oriented on an angle, but that's where being up the right, you can actually get kind of a bowling effect to those left half of the green pins. The next short par four on the course is number six. And this is a a personal favorite. You have one of these classic strategies, you know, it's sort of comparable to a 10 at Riviera in a lot of ways. You have endless amounts of room out to the left. It is, uh, you know, you can, you can blast it out there all day, every day. You're not going to get into much trouble up the right. There's a bunker. There are some dunes to the right. There's a dune Ridge uh, sitting there on top of which is the ninth fairway. And it is very uncomfortable to try to hit up that side. But if you go out to the left, if you go away from the stuff that looks scary, then your next shot is going to be over a massive bunker to a very narrow green that is super shallow from that angle. So if you're going to have a reasonable look into this green, and it's often going to be a wedge or a short iron, if you're going to have a reasonable chance of stopping your ball on this green, then you really do need to be right. If you decide to go left, as most people do, chances are you're going to come up short in the bunker, which is dead, or you're going to run over the green, where you're going to be chipping back onto this plateau green, and you might end up going back and forth a little bit. And and some people will say the screen's too severe, but my my counter would be if I put a tee box 110 yards out of from the green, and said it was a par three, everybody would probably revere it as a great short par three. So I just think this is one of those times where you got to step up and hit a good wedge shot. And for the most part, everybody's hitting a short, short iron or a wedge in here. And that's that's the ask. The short right portion of this green is a lot more generous than the rest of the green. And so if your target is there, you can definitely hold that. You're not going to have much trouble. But if you're going for the pin, that's when you can start to get some of these compounding mistakes. But the thing is, in the end, if you're down on that right side of the green, if you're way down below the green and you have a tight lie and a chip up, yeah, that's a tough shot. But you can do it. You can really do it. Just put you know, a pitching wedge in your hands or a nine iron and bump and run it up on the green it will stay there if you hit a proper shot from down there. But I think that what people sometimes do is they get down way down below a green and they pull out their lob wedge immediately. And they try to flop it up and hit this fancy Phil Mickelson shot that that's not the shot you should be hitting from down there. You should be bumping, running it up onto the green. You've got to learn that shot if you're going to expect to play Pacific Dunes and many other courses abandoned well. Yeah, that bump and run with with the fescue surrounds is just a wonderful shot out there because I think a lot of people come from from climates, whether it's Bermuda grass where that bump and run grabs or zoysia where it's just a sticky or kikuya if you're coming from Southern California where this bump, the bump and run is just not really an option. But there it just kind of glides and it and it skips and it becomes the most predictable and easiest shot to hit around the greens. It's just a matter of of refining your touch by trying it a few times and not being necessarily discouraged if the first one doesn't go well. 
you know yeah i promise yeah. you it's like riding a bike you you every kid who's played the game has has hit that shot a million times and it's just you know a matter of getting that that feel back into your into your hands all right the last hole that i want to talk about uh short par four wise is number nine and you know this this closes out a quartet of really cool short par fours on the front nine Number nine has an upper green and a lower green. So there's an alternate green in play here. The initial design was to go to the upper green on the right. That was the original idea of the routing. But as they were building the hole, Tom Doak looked down to the left and saw a place for a nice alternate green uh, green site. And the hole really changes when you're going up to the right versus down to the left. Now, you're teeing off over a big ridge. It's com- completely blind. You're, you're down below in the Sandy Bowl and your exit from the Sandy Bowl up onto this ledge is just to hit straight over it. So it's blind. You need to ask your caddy where you're supposed to go here. But if you're going up to the green on the right, then you need to keep that drive way to the right. If you're going down to the green on the left, then your goal is to hit a big sweeping hook that kind of runs down the hill to the left. So it's completely different plays off the tee depending on where the green is that day. So Yeah, and there's very, a, very important to, to mention about the fairway is that the right side there's a high right side and a low left side. And the green so you've got the high right green that's on top of the ridge and a low left green that's kind of in a hollow, almost still in the sandy bowl. You know, in the fairway runs along the ridge that exits the fair uh, the sandy bowl so you if you think about a bowl the right side is kind of the rim and the left side is the slope of the bowl so it's going down into the bowl so anything that's not that's a little left of center or maybe even that's a that's right center close to center is tumbling down into the bowl so that's what makes this the tee shot when you're playing to the original location the right high right side which i think is one of the best holes at all at the entire resort is playing to the high right side because again it infuses this this timeless strategy of play where you don't want to play which is up the right because then you know if you miss right there's some native grasses some you know some fescue and and just some longer stuff that that's scary and it's a ridge right? You could end up way right. You know, you just don't want to end up, you you don't want to miss there. You know, you see a bad miss there versus the left. You have all day left. I mean, hitting to that, that bottom green and having to get it to the left, that's might be one of the easiest tee shots on property, but hitting it up to the right and you're hitting like an iron, a fairway wood, you don't need a driver here. And hitting it up to that right, it, it it's like hitting a, a good shot on a long par three. Like you have to hit a really good sh- a good iron to get it to stay up there, and it's really intimidating. So naturally, you typically bail left, and then from there, you're completely blind. You cannot see anything at all, and you're playing up over this big ridge to a green that does not receive shots well from the left. It's just it's just beautiful it's it's wonderful strategy and it especially once you've learned this stuff and i think this is one of the things that we could talk about is this is a golf course that every time you play it gets better and better 
because of things like this, because of the strategy behind it, where you start to understand these things and you're standing on that tee and you're trying to get yourself to hit it right. And when you hit it left, you immediately go, oh, no. And, and somebody that might not know be like, you're in the middle of the fairway. But it's like, oh, no, that's not where I want to be, though. And I think that's the cool thing. The green is really neat. It's long. It's narrow. And it plays off the uh, a ridge. So anything from the left, you're hitting. I, you know, I, the last time we played it, I had, I think, a, a sand wedge in. Uh, it was <clears throat> and I hit a really good nippy sand wedge. And it landed about pin high and ended up 50 feet past it. But you know what? I expected that because I was out of position. And even though I hit a really great shot, I knew that I had screwed up my chance at making a birdie, my good chance at making a birdie by not playing the right shot off the tee. Yeah, it's about a 100-yard shot from down there. It feels like it shouldn't be hard to get it close, but it is tremendously hard, verging on impossible to get it close from down there because in addition to that, as you've said, it is blind. Now, I agree. This ninth hole up to the right is so cool. I think the one down to the left is much less so. Yeah, I think they should just get rid of it, to be honest. (laughs) I agree. I thought you disagreed with me about that. I thought this was going to be a debate. No. But, uh, okay. (laughs) I think they should just let let it go to pasture. I'm sure Tom might disagree. I don't know. But like you know, I think this the the whole golf course works better when you play to the right. You get a better reveal of of uh, of the tenth. Yes, I will say the tenth tee down low might be a better hole. So you get this expansive view from the top of the ocean, and it's be- it's wonderful. But if you go down below, what you see is the the massive scale of the sand dune. The dunes to the yeah to, to the, the right, right of the green yeah. and from up top because you're above them those just get squashed down and you don't feel that you know the magnificence of the setting you're in you get the magnificence of the expansive ocean view you miss out on the dune so you know if you go down to the left that's going to be much more like a dramatic shot in Ireland it's a lot more linksy down to the left it's a lot more kind of American oceanside course up to the right. Mm -hmm. So it's a trade-off, right? One hole gets better. And I think this is a lot with like golf design. Uh, This is just a a thing that, that architects have to weigh all the time is that one decision, making one decision, you might make one hole better, but you might weaken the other hole. And I think for the nine and 10, this is, you know, the dual green is it makes one hole better, one hole a little weaker. But here's my argument for the 10th hole from the elevated tee, and it's the orientation to the wind. From the elevated tee, it's pretty much a direct crosswind off the right. From the lower tee to the left, you're much more into the wind. And the next several holes are also into the wind. 11, into the wind. 12, 13, 14, you turn back downwind. But crosswind holes at Pacific Dunes are fairly rare. And this is a criticism of the course that has been raised that I think is is legitimate in some ways. On the No Laying Up podcast specifically, in the last uh, you know episode that they did on the Bandon Dunes Resort when they were doing tourist sauce out there, they mentioned wind, uh, the prevailing wind, as something that might make Pacific Dunes worse. But 10, when you're up on that elevated tee, is a crosswind. 
And a lot of the holes at Pacific Dunes run north or south. So they're either downwind or into the wind. And you don't get a whole lot of crosswind at the course. So in that sense, I agree with the no laying up guys that, you know, when you're playing in a really strong wind at Pacific Dunes, you can see a lot of similar winds because so many of the holes are roughly along that north-south axis. Now, the reason the holes are that way is that the winds are that way, yes, but that also means that the dune ridges run that way. You know, there's a reason that the land is the way it is at Pacific Dunes, and it's because of the wind. The dune ridges run roughly north-south as well, and so in order to have more holes that were crosswind, Pacific Dunes would need to either be going over these huge dune ridges more, or they would have need to, needed to alter the land more. And I think that both of those solutions are worse than what they came up with, which is having holes that are generally oriented north-south, but have subtle variations within that. But at the same time, it's a, it's a tough problem to solve. I mean, you know, what can you do? How many of the Great Lakes courses are out back? Exactly. Yeah. This totally. is just it's just Correct. the way that sand dunes work, right? Yes. So, you know, that's that's just a nature of Lynx golf. So, yeah, I and I think that's the thing. I one of the things I, I appreciate about the way it's designed, you, if you play that top green, a top tee, like you said, you get the crosswind there, and it's a, you know, short to mid iron shot. But then 11 and 14, the par threes, uh, other par threes in that kind of really close sequence together, um, those two par threes are effectively the same yardage, but they play in completely different directions. So if you play in the winter, you know, you're going to get 11 dead into the wind, which is a really, really hard shot. (laughs) That's a tough one. But then you get 14 downwind, and that makes that shot a lot easier. Now, if you flip it, you know, you get 11 down when neither of them are picnics either way. I'm just going to put that out there. They're difficult shots to hit either way, but you get the complete other dynamic. And one of the things I think like 11 and 14 signify like the idea of, of getting up there and hitting a shot on par threes. And, you know, we played when we played when I think about like tournament golf, you, you stand on tee when you play tournament golf or you play in your club championship. And there are, there's a pressure that you feel that you know you need to pull something off. You need to hit a shot. And you get those moments in golf where you need to hit a shot. And I think when you look at 11 and 14, depending on which one's playing in the wind, if you, you, know, if you play in the winter um, like we did, playing 11 into the wind, I think I, I want to say I hit something like a choke five iron from 140. And I, you know, you stand on that tee and, you know, I got to hit a real, real golf shot here. And if I don't hit the real golf shot, I'm going to be in a tough spot. But there is areas to bail out, like right of 11. It doesn't look like you can bail out there, but you can. And it'll funnel your ball back into the middle of the green. And But the thing I do appreciate is the idea of occasionally golfers having hit golf shots and not everything being a funnel and not everything being, you know, having width off the tee on, on par fours, but having preferred spots and, and having repercussions of not getting to those preferred spots is, is a brilliant way to create playability, but also preferred lines. I think that's the, the mix is that you can, 
you can build all the playability in the world. And I think uh, David Kidd has done this at Mammoth Dunes, where he's built supreme playability, but there's no actual strategy. And that's a problem, is that when I don't have a place where I can get an advantage position to attack something, then what are we even doing hitting tee shots? I'll just go up there and drop my ball in the fairway, uh, roughly how far I'd hit it. And it doesn't matter if I drove the ball well. You really think it, it doesn't matter at, at Mammoth Dunes? You would, you would go that as far as to say that? I would say that on 14 holes, you could put me at any point in the fairway and it wouldn't matter. Okay. Because you're hitting into a punch bowl. Now, at Pacific Dunes, the difference here is that there are places that you can drive a ball. And if I can drive the ball within a 20-yard area, I all of a sudden pick up maybe a quarter of a shot on somebody that hits it on the other side of the fairway. That's how you create a stern thinking test. You have lost shots to your competitors that find those places. And I think that is really brilliant because then it becomes I'm hitting a really hard shot from a perfect lie or I'm hitting a you know significantly easier shot from a perfect lie, which I think is a great. It gives you opportunities to recover with brilliant shots. You can always overcome your position if you're in the fairway at Pacific Dunes with a brilliant shot. You just a lot of times have to hit a brilliant shot. One quibble with a detail of what you said by way of agreeing with your overall point is that I think downwind, 14 is a really tough hole, yeah. especially if it's strongly downwind. You have to land your ball short of that green and run it up. And when the ball is running up on that green, it can go both directions depending on what side you miss on. But you really do have to look at that little bit of fairway short of the 14th green when it's downwind and make sure that you're hitting that and that you're not taking you know, too much spin off your shot. It, it is a tricky shot for good players, but I, I think it's achievable. It's, down, you know? it's downwind. It's playing 100 yards. Yeah. I, I haven't, you know, admittedly, I haven't played Pacific Dunes in a really extreme wind, but I have played that hole downwind, and it's it's a fun hole in the sense that you see the ball really move along the ground. But if you're if you're playing that with a you know American Parkland course mentality where you're trying to land the ball on the green, then you're just not going to be successful there. And so I think the the ground you know the ground play is is really a big factor at Pacific Dunes, and it's always a dimension that you have to be thinking about when you're uh you know contemplating your shots and uh and so you know and and that's where the accusation of unfairness often comes in is based on what the ball can do on the ground at Pacific Dunes it goes in unpredictable directions but from another perspective that's exactly what makes the course dynamic and fun and if you play well at Pacific Dunes it's really satisfying you know if you hit those precise golf shots, then you really feel like you have achieved something. And that's and that's ultimately what I like so much about the course is that when you hit when you play great golf and you shoot a good score at Pacific Dunes, you feel like you have accomplished something and uh and you can I, and I would accept the sort of uh punishment that you sometimes get at Pacific Dunes as a you know, a completely fine trade-off for that. That's the thing, is it separates great play from mediocre play from bad play. 
And and this is where the ego thing. Sometimes you have to look at your, yourself in the mirror and realize that I didn't hit the right shot or I wasn't in the right position. And, you know, frankly, I think a golfer struggle a lot with that. My wife doesn't play golf and she, you know, has listened to so many of my talks after tournament rounds of me lamenting, you know, what, what didn't happen and how, if this would have happened, she goes, yeah, but she always would reply. Yeah. But, but that's what happened. And I think that is something that golfers, I struggle with it. Every golfer struggles with is real is accepting the fact that maybe I didn't hit the right shot. Yeah. Just the other day, this is kind of a random story, but I, I was playing at a course that has this par three that drops like 200 feet. You know, in a lot of ways, it's kind of a silly hole, but you're you're playing down to this green where your ball is kind of dropping through the treetops, essentially. But there is a path to the green. I got up there. I absolutely pured my iron and it was dropping down and it was just a little bit to the right, but it was heading straight to the pin. It was curving around, coming in at the pin. It dropped in one of those trees and got stuck up in the tree. It was a lost ball. And here I, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking I, I absolutely flushed that iron. It was a draw. It was coming around to the pin. It would have been close, but now it's a lost ball. And I got so mad at the golf course until I took a step away and realized, listen, dummy, you hit the wrong shot. If you were able to hit a fade, then it would have worked out fine. But you decided that you're going to go at this pin with a draw and you just can't do that on this hole. And so I think that's the that's the moment of self-reckoning that you have to have a lot at Pacific Dunes where you just need to step back and say, yeah, I hit that shot well. It was what I was planning to do. But you know what? My plan wasn't right. I got to come up with a different plan next time. And I think a, a fundamental aspect of golf and why we're all demented, deranged, and obsessed with it is the fundamental fact that golf is unfair and it's unconquerable. And we love the game because it's so difficult. If it wasn't, you know, if it was a repeatable singular outcome task over and over again, it'd be bowling or darts. You know, it is it, golf is great because you can execute the shot and something can happen an external factor a gust of wind a landing 6 inches on the wrong side of a contour can take you from a perfect perfect shot to an undesirable shot and i think that's what you know in a way pacific dunes more so than any other golf course at bandon dunes embodies the true spirit of golf where the line between ultimate success and brilliance and the line between mediocrity is very thin and you are tight roping along it if you're if you are out there you know the last time we played I played very very well if you're out there and you're playing really well you're not on cruise control you're on edge and that is a really really great feeling when you're playing good golf, when you're swinging well and you're, it's not a mindless pursuit, you know, you have to do things you don't want to do. And when you go through the stretch of 11 through 14 in particular at Pacific dunes, that is a, a stretch of golf where you really have to commit and hit shots that you don't want to hit. 
but you know you have to hit them in order to achieve you know what you want which is get birdie looks and have you know if you don't make birdie have really easy pars and the only way to have easy pars out there is to take on some risk in places that said are there some weak holes at pacific dunes yeah, I I I am uh I would say there are. I don't the 18th I don't think works in its current state. Yeah. Um which I think is a buzzkill but again, I always say there's not a good really great 18th at at uh, any course on the resort. Uh, you know, at the same time, it, it's just sort of the 18th is on such tantalizing land. I think it needs to be shorter. Yeah. Yeah, I mean just so that that big bunker on the left off the tee would be a little bit more in play where it could be a carry bunker. And if you carry it, you have a nice shot at hitting the green in two. Is that sort of what you're talking about? Cause that, that bunker, I'm not sure that that bunker can be carried all that well from the tees that people normally play from. Yeah. I think it's a three shot par five and it, it would be better as a two shot par four because that, that shot, the approach shot into the green with that land and how it kind of funnels in is a super fun shot. But a lot of times people are hitting wedges in because they're hitting their third from a wedge distance. Now the tricky thing is then you get a bad walk off 17 to 18 and you got to walk 150 yards up. So I don't know what the, what the solution is. I I think the 18th in my, my mind is, is the weak link. You know, I want to bring up, I think seven and eight are brilliant back-to-back holes that nobody oh, yeah. ever talks about. And eight especially is the most underrated hole at the course. Seven gets some love because uh, it's such a strong hole. I think it gets a little bit of love. Eight never gets as much love as it deserves. And, I, and I'm not super crazy about 16. I think too many balls end up in the same place. Yeah. And, and, that's, and that's also an issue on 18, where I think a lot of second shots on that hole lay up second shots end up in similar places too. So you're hitting wedges from a lot of the same places. Yeah. It almost might work better as a 19 hole course, you know, where it, maybe you have back to back par three, 17 and 18, and then 19 is a, is a par four. Obviously they, they couldn't have done that, but that might've been the best use of the, that land. I agree about 16 where there are some pockets in that fairway where a lot of balls seem to settle. There are different places that you can end up off the tee there. You can end up high left or low right and both have their benefits and drawbacks, I think. But uh, the the problem is the land is so severe that balls are going to funnel to similar places. And, it's so and, cool yeah. and rumply. It is. Uh, the green site is so amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just, a, I think it's the nature of of using sometimes the natural land is where the balls just get to these certain pockets. And, and that's the case with 16 is that this like natural rumpled land, um, maybe moving a little dirt would have been well done there. I don't know. You know, it's hard, hard to say, but I think, yeah, I would say that on 16 and 18, that those are, and I think that probably, you know, is the anticlimactic finish. You kind of feel let down potentially after you play the 14th hole. Cause you, you then venture away from the ocean. Yeah. Um, all right. So wrapping things up here, you said toward the beginning of the pod that Pacific dunes is at the top of the list for you of the courses at Bandon dunes. 
and you said it wasn't really close. Are you going to uh, stand behind that? I think it's the best architectural course. I think it. I think honestly, uh, in America, it's the best public golf course that I've seen, and I think I've seen everyone that could potentially be in the class of of uh, of Pacific Dunes. Um, to me, it's a you know, it's really rare that you can see a great architect's best work, and that might be the case here. And, you know, there, there are very, very few, you know, nobody's going to play Alistair McKenzie's Cypress Point, you know, just can book a tee time and go play it. Nobody can book a tee time to go play National Golf Links and see C.B. McDonald's best work. You know, nobody can book a tee time and play Shinnecock and see William Flynn's best work. This is how it is in America. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's a bummer. But this is an example of, of arguably, Tom, I think, you know, you could put some other courses in there. Terry Eady would be one. But, you know, Tom's best work. And you can go see it. And, um, you know, I, I don't know if necessarily... It, it would be the course that if I was presented with, I play there every day, I'd play the most and people might get confused by that, but I think it's the best. I think it's the, and I think part of it is the, the idea, the pressure you feel over certain shots where you know that, you know, there it's got the right balance of giving you space coupled with the idea that I do need to hit shots because that is what draws you to golf. That is the idea of trying to hit shots And generally where you hit a shot too. That's not a good shot. You have the opportunity to recover. It might not be easy, but you are afforded the opportunity to hit a great shot. What about you? On different days, I prioritize different things in assessing a golf course as the best or as my favorite. For me at Bandon Dunes, Bandon Trails and Pacific Dunes battle it out for the top spot, just depending on my mood and depending on what I think is on that particular day is the most important thing about a golf course. Architectural brilliance, design mastery, Pacific Dunes takes it. It is an example of an architect at the top of his craft, just creating something brilliant, instantly memorable. That is Pacific Dunes for me. Bandon Trails is more of a full experience. It's, you know, I hate this word. It's a vibe <laughs> that that is the the course where feeling kind of takes over um, and that sense of adventure. And often that's the thing I really want out of golf. I want to go on a hike and I want to be playing golf during it. But the main point is to explore a landscape. If I'm playing golf, if I'm really zeroing in on the, not the scoring element, not necessarily the competitive element, but just hitting golf shots and, and trying to be my navigate, best. Navigating, navigating a, essentially a course filled with obstacles that are getting in your way. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. So yeah, when I'm prioritizing those playing characteristics, I think Pacific Dunes is at the top for me. When I'm prioritizing golf as a as an emotional journey, as corny as that might sound, Bandon Trails is is the place I go. And I, I don't necessarily feel a need to rank one above the other or declare one more important than the other. I think that it's great that this resort has 
both of those courses and uh, that they can serve those different purposes. The way I kind of would conceptualize it, if, if it was in, you know, if, if Bandon's all of a sudden your neighborhood, you know, and you have these couple courses to choose from, is that after like a long day of work where I want to just go decompress Bandon trails, I'm going to go play that or maybe old Mac where I can hit a lot of wide array of shots and just kind of like have a lot of fun mess around and, you know yeah exactly i can but like banded trails is more of like i'm just going to like just get away from the world mm-hmm. um that's the feel i have for there but if it's saturday morning and what my day is is i i i didn't do anything last night it's the weekend i'm ready to play golf and i want i want to go out and golf pacific dunes is is hands down to me the most you, your brain has to be so engaged out there. And when it's not engaged, that's when you get in trouble. When you're not really dialed in to what you're trying to do, where you're trying to get. Because it's a it's this course that if you're playing really well, you can really distance yourself from somebody that's playing average or mediocre. And I think that's really cool. All right, Andy. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. This episode of the Fried Egg Podcast was edited by Meg Atkins. If you haven't yet subscribed to the Fried Egg newsletter, I'd encourage you to do so. It will arrive in your inbox every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And there will be daily editions during PGA Championship Week. Basically, it's going to keep you up to date on what's happening in the world of golf so you don't have to go searching for that information in the wilds of the internet. All right. Thanks for listening.